This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. So tonight's guest is Nicole, and I don't say last names, but you're welcome to say that. Uh, thank you for coming in. It's been actually knowing you for a long time, yeah. But it has been a while since I've actually seen you, like yes. and talked with you, and yeah. heard how things are going. So I, I've got to tell you, not only was I excited by that fact, <laughs> but by the fact that you knew my dad longer than you know me. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite interesting. I well, I met you. I met your dad actually in my early recovery. So that was 19 years ago. Oh, so I'll geez. be 19 years uh, sober, um, February 18th. Oh, wow. Good for you. I know, right? Congratulations, it's, it's, Nicole. It's huge. It's huge. It is. And um, it's just really changed for me, you know, though. Mm-hmm. Like it's when you, clean, when you clean up at 23 and now I'm 43. Yeah. It's, a, it's like having, I feel like I've had so many lifetimes in one life. It's, it's, um, now that it, like my forties are so much different than my thirties and my twenties and my mm-hmm. teens. This is the second time I've been in recovery. Um, the first time I was 19, 18, 19 yeah. and, uh, for about 18 months and, uh, I've relapsed for about three years mm-hmm. in between there. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what you want to hear. You want to hear about the whole what, thing, the whole thing, the whole nine yards. Well, it all happened with Kenny and Sandy in 1976. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, we're going to start. We're starting fresh. 1976. Yeah. Picture it. We're starting before the world polluted us. <laughs> Kenny with long hair. No, um, no, I was uh, born in uh, uh, on Vancouver Island in the oh. Comox Valley, born and raised there. And um, my parents were divorced really young. Uh, like I was like 18. I was maybe under a year. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was, oh my, sorry about that. Okay. My dad was um, always in my life. My dad was, uh, even though they separated um, and divorced and my dad remarried, he was always in my life. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, he's a good dad. He's like hardworking dad. Um, my mom, she... Uh, She's an interesting lady. She's passed away now about 10 years ago from cancer, 10, mm. 12 years ago. But uh, she was a little nutty, like a little hippie-ish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mom, she, you know what the gift was with my mom is my mom always picked good men. Mm. Always. 
so um, I always, I had a wonderful stepdad. Um, I had, uh, she had wonderful boyfriends that stayed in my life. Uh, my dad remarried when I was three and he's still with my stepmom. Hmm. And uh, she's, she's my mom now. She's my heart mom, I call her. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my mom smoked weed chronic my mom was chronic mm. so if there wasn't a good man in her life we were dirt ass poor <laughs> welfare oh, yeah. right so our our life always kind of depended on who she was with at the time mm-hmm. and um but she was a good mom i guess she did the best she could i i think like what i know now i think she's uh she was mentally ill mm. like with bipolar or something yeah. you know or, or or if that but my mom was an orphan so um, when she was sick, six, her parents were killed by a drunk driver on Christmas Eve, oh, around geez. Christmas Eve yeah. in the 60s. So it, back then, yeah, like they just basically came in and picked her up and her, her and her brother and sister and were like, you're going to your older sister's house for the mm-hmm. rest of your life. Your parents are dead. And um, so there was no talking about that. There was no, mm-hmm. no nothing. They were just gone. And you talk about, we talk about these days, like intergenerational trauma. There was some there with, with mm-hmm. me. It came down to me. Like um, Christmas was always like, there was a lot of loaded energy around it. A lot of, a lot of, uh, just a lot of stuff around it. And everything had to be perfect and good. And, and I know hindsight now what that was for her. But um, she didn't even find her, their graves until they were, she was in her 30s. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so I, I lived with that legacy. Um, my dad, he was he was quite distant in the early 80s. I think he had his struggles. Um, the logging industry was on strike. There was a lot of a lot of um, community issues at that time in the logging logging in- industry. But he did the best he could with what he had. And same with my stepmom. And I have. Um, a heart sister who's the exact same age oh, wow. as me. Um, she's in recovery now too. Uh, she's kind. Of, she's been instrumental in re-inspiring me in the last few years. I just cool. I love her to pieces. And uh, I have a half sister, and um, and she's a pretty cool chick too. <laughs> right on. Yeah, she's pretty cool. And um, uh, I have three kids, and. Uh, uh, my oldest is 26, and uh, then I don't I, know how that's possible. Yeah, I was like 16. You'd have, to, you'd have to be like really old for that. I, I was 16. Not yeah. a good life plan, mm-hmm. not a good life choice, but wouldn't change it for the world. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, he's he's the reason why I'm clean today. You know, and uh, uh, and then I have Josiah, who's 15, mm-hmm. and. Uh, He's my king, and uh, man, is he ever! And he, he he'll wear shirts with king, <laughs> king on it, right? Like you know, because of course, when he was born, I was working in a, a Christian treatment center, and they all oh, Josiah was the great king, you know, and mm. so he kind of grew up with that. And then I have uh, my surprise gift in life, um, Madison, who is thirteen. So those are my kids, but um, I don't know. Did I go off here? Um, wherever anyway, you got to go. Wherever I got to go. Sure. So 
mom and dad were good they did the best they could like i had a happy like pretty much a happy childhood Mm like you know i never always had a roof over my head always had clothes on my back and shoes on my feet and Mm -hmm. when i wanted a pony i actually got one (laughs) right like Mm -hmm. um actually it was a horse but um tomato tomato (laughs) yeah it was a big horse (laughs) uh um you know i did feel left out a lot of time growing up from my dad's second family and um that was that was hard but my mom was really good at making sure i stayed connected with my grandmother um on my dad's side because of course her parents were gone and so my grandma was um oh man she, she she's still my hero uh she immigrated from holland and flew the fled the ss and so there was some stuff there too, mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> you know, Grandma Caparty. Um, that was a scary time in history, though. Yeah, it, it was. Those folks. And she was about sixteen when she she made it oh, here. Geez. Well, made it to the Comox Valley yeah. and married an English soldier. And the story's a little bit, you know, p- bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But um, she, my last memory of my grandma was um, Saddam had just fallen. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, sitting at the bottom of her feet, and she was rubbing my head, and she said, um, "All war does is cause pain," mm-hmm. and and that was kind of it. She didn't say much about it, you know, and uh, but she was a cool lady, like she, wearing pants in the fifties, sick, single mom, yeah. left her husband, four kids, raised three boys on her own, and they were quite the handful, from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how boys would become a handful. Just difficult There's some stories, you know, going to my hometown. They're like, hey, are you so-and-so? I'm like, yeah, I am, you know. And um, I would have to say my first uh, real, my first drunk was probably 12 years old. Mm. And it was definitely to fit in and to be a part of. And same with smoking cigarettes. I think it probably started more with cigarettes. Yeah. And then, and of course, marijuana was very much part of my culture, my family culture growing up. Mm-hmm. It was very normal. It was very okay. It was on the table. It was, it was just what you did. So, um, it was no, there was no consequences mm-hmm. when I started smoking weed yeah. from my mom. I, I don't know if my dad knew knew I was hopefully he doesn't hear this but um (laughs) uh, I don't think he would but um there was no real consequences there was no real consequences to drinking my mom and my stepdad who's now who's in recovery too long-term recovery now as well um there was no real consequences and and it was okay as long as I may I don't know it was I guess they were hippies. I don't know what it was like some kind of weird Montessori thing going on there, but (laughs) I don't know what it was. They were pretty chill. And, um, I got bullied in school a little bit and, and ended up, um, having, getting into some trouble and, uh, slipped into a depression in my teenagehood and just kind of stopped going to school. And, um, Started hanging out with older guys, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, there's uh, sexual abuse in my history. Um, fortunately, I've been able to work through that. But, you know, if we want to talk about adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. and creating addiction, that's one of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom was very proactive, though. I was in therapy. 
Um, it was an open discussion. It wasn't about secrets or anything like that. Um, and so she, you know, it was like drive you to the appointment, drop you off, but we wouldn't discuss it mm-hmm. afterwards or anything like that. And I think it's a level of my comfort as a teenager. And, and uh, yeah, so I started meeting older boys and hanging out with them and partying at the lake and, you know, riding jet skis and mm-hmm. doing cool things, right? Yeah. <laughs> and living the island life. And um, I got pregnant and uh, decided to keep my oldest. And I uh, went to high school, uh, took him to high school with me because in the 90s, that's what you did. They mm-hmm. had daycares in school. Did they really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What a concept. Yeah. Hey. Did really well, was getting straight A's and stuff. And it was really isolating, though. Like it was mm-hmm. I, like I was not in the same kind of peer group anymore. I was yeah. mom and uh, my oldest boy's uh, dad. Um, Brand, um, Eric was, he was good. His parents were good. His family was good. Um, he, uh, is Danae and was, a, uh, actually taken out of his home when he was, uh, like two or three and put into foster care. Mm-hmm. And so that family raised him. When I found out I was pregnant, um, my mom was basically like, you're on your own. Same with my dad. So, um, how come? I have no idea. They were just, they just, my, I, for my mom, I feel like it was like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. You know? Oh, okay. She made it. Yeah. yeah. She'll figure it out. She's yeah. pretty resilient. And, and my, actually my heart sister, my middle sister, uh, uh, became pregnant too at the same time. Oh, my poor parents. <laughs> and, um, and so I was living in this like rundown kind of abandoned house full of dog shit and, um, in this one room and, uh, Brandon's, uh, parents found me and took me in and, mm-hmm. and, uh, took care of me till he came home from the tugboats and, and we got an apartment, we had a baby, you know, mm-hmm. thought it was going to be, yeah, I was 18. And so he was out at the bar doing his thing and, uh, it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just didn't work out, obviously. And uh, moved out on my own. Still tried to go to school and um, just started drinking lots. Mm-hmm. Started drinking and partying lots. I felt super isolated being a teen mom yeah. and not having much family support. Like, they were interested, mm-hmm. but they weren't those kind of parents that like, oh, here, I'll take your kid for yeah. the weekend, <laughs> right? And uh, there came a point, I think, uh, there came a point where I just couldn't afford to do anything for him and trying to go to school. So uh, I got into uh, this into sex work at about, I'd say about 19. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't to get high or to drink. It was to be able to buy my kid some boots, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, but I couldn't do it. Like, I just couldn't do it. My parents had been really good about keeping me healthy, like, in the best mm-hmm. way they could. Like, you know, I was in psychiatric care programs when I was a kid, like, teenager. Like, yeah. they were proactive, right? So I just started drinking and got introduced into cocaine, and boom, I was gone. Mm-hmm. I, I met my first love. <laughs> and so I did that. For a good solid year, mm-hmm. and um, thank God for Brandon's uh, paternal grandparents, uh, 
they came and got him and um, took care of him because I just was not functioning anymore. You know, the drugs and the alcohol took over the purpose and the school went away and the parenting went away. And um, I moved away up to Victoria and got into recovery. I went to a a place called Treehouse back in the 90s. It was called Treehouse. Yeah. (laughs) Good name for a recovery. Yeah. I was run by this lady named Marsha and she was great. She's great. Um, um, She's a Scientologist. But (laughs) um, she, she treated us really well. And I stayed with, I stayed in recovery that time for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. And um, I was asked to speak at a young people's convention, AA convention. Mm -hmm. I was living with this roommate and Brandon, my oldest son was, you know, kind of in and out. Like I was allowed to see him and stuff, but he did better with his grandparents. And uh, came home one night, my roommate was having a beer and smoking a joint. And I thought, well, I'm fine now. You know, I'm 19, I should be doing this, and I should be able to party, and I, and that just set off uh, hell, hell for the next three years, and I got back into sex work, and into cocaine, and drinking, and the lifestyle, and I just spiraled out of control quickly, and during that time, um, in BC, it was a really stressful time for sex workers mm. like I could just cry thinking about it now oh God, yeah. because 43 year old me can't imagine working a stroll with a serial killer because yeah. I used to go over to Vancouver you know and uh, hustle hustle dates and then get high and score dope down in East Hastings and and like it like I just think of it now and I think of how dangerous that was Jeez. and and I just Think of all those beautiful women that ended up on the pig farm that we know now, and I, I could have easily been one of those mm-hmm. women easily. And um, I think uh, that must have been that must be like kind of terrifying when you. It is when I look back yeah, on it now. Like yeah. I'm just I could just like throw up from it. She got goosebumps. I, yeah, that's you know, pretty freaky, man. It is. It is. And and fortunately, I always had a good head on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I was always. Um, I always had a pretty good instinct of what was going on around me too. And um, um, I was staying with my best friend and uh, of 30 years, I just actually spoke to her last night, but um, 30 years we've been friends, but uh, (laughs) yeah. And I was crashing with her and she just kind of was like, man, you got a drug problem. (laughs) Like, get your shit together and you can stay here. And Mm -hmm. I just left in the middle of the night and, like, disappeared. And, um, which was probably scary for her at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, went back to Victoria. And my parents found me whacked out on crystal meth in a hospital, um, in a psychiatric unit. And, uh, my bottom was like, no, you can't come home for Christmas. And um, they came up after Christmas, found me there in the, it had to be early February. And uh, we're like, oh, we'll buy you a plane ticket to 
Calgary because you just need a good man and a union job, right? Kind of thing, right? Like that's the solution. That'll right? solve the problem. Right? That's the solution. Yeah. Right? Good man okay. and work for the city. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so they put me on a plane and I gotta Jeez. tell you, man, I don't even remember that plane ride. Yeah. Like I was like living in a strip bar with this with this guy in the hotel. And he was like, we're taking you to the airport. Your parents are sending you to Calgary, right? Mm -hmm. And my cousin, my first cousin I grew up with, she was living here. And she picked me up from the airport. Mm -hmm. And the weeks, I don't even know when I got here. At one point, I remember standing on the C-train platform going, fuck, man, how'd I get here? Mm -hmm. like, like, that's how bad I was drinking. And because once I got here, I had no hookup for dope. Mm -hmm. So I was just drinking really, really heavy. Yeah. I was a blackout drinker at 23 years old. My first drunk, I was a blackout mm -hmm. drinker. And um, <laughs> so I uh, I guess I kicked a, w a window out in her house. And I don't remember doing it or why. Probably because it was damn cold because it's February, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Calgary <laughs> Island girl. And uh, she said, you got to go. Yeah. So I found myself in a strange city down at the drop-in center. Mm -hmm. And uh, back then, a lady named Yolanda was the social worker. Mm -hmm. And it was the old drop-in center, not what we have now. And I remember having nowhere to go. And, and I swear to God, it was a spiritual experience that happened mm -hmm. for me that day. And uh, I remember walking there in the air, the air around me in Feb January, February, got warmer and warmer and warmer mm -hmm. as I walked there. And it was like I slipped into this vortex of just warmth. And I walked into the drop-in center and I was like, okay, this is where I'm staying. And Yolanda seen me and she said, no, you're not going to stay here. Mm -hmm. And she put me over at the Y, thank God. Mm -hmm. Right. And at that point, I had already been exposed to 12-step programs. Yeah. So um, I went over, uh, I found out where the meetings were and started going to meetings. And of course, I met a guy mm -hmm. in a meeting and I didn't have to stay at the Y anymore. Man, it happens. It happens. <laughs> it happens. And um, and actually, he's a good man and we're still mm. friends. And uh, <laughs> nothing happened. I always thought he was a decent dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not that guy. Not oh. not my baby dad, gotcha. but um, a good friend of ours. And... Um, he was actually in in a treatment center. Mm. So I made my way around the rooms for a while with different men because that's a behavior that happens when you get clean and you don't know how to be in the world mm. and you don't know how to get your needs met and you don't know how to survive on your own or that is your survival, mm -hmm. your fault. And um, somebody looked at me in the meeting and said, I know the place for you. Mm. And I was like, okay, where am I going? It's pretty cold. <laughs> I'll go anywhere, right? <laughs> and then he said, there's a treatment center for girls like you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's called Servants Anonymous. So I went over there. Mm -hmm. And I stayed there for, I'd, I'd say, about a good year. Like mm -hmm. six months to a year. And in that time, I got the structure. And I got a, a, a new set of values mm -hmm. and, and beliefs. Something that I had never had in my life because my parents were just so chill, mm -hmm. so chill, so relaxed, so, you know, like kind of back in the days where Barbara Colorado used to say jellyfish parents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> That's the kind of parents I had, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, and um, so servants 
um, back then gave me a really solid structure of who 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 I could be mm-hmm. and and how to be a young woman with some class <laughs> and some self-respect right yeah and some self-esteem and um, some self-worth and um, they did their best. I think they did okay. The foundations there. They did great. They did okay. And uh, there I was introduced to the principles of servanthood, mm. which is the heart of my recovery today. It really is. Mm. And um, I, I live and breathe it. And uh, at that point, I met a, a, a boy. A boy. And um, he. we were together 15 years. Mm-hmm. Married had three beautiful children together and um he's he was good to me mm-hmm. he was good to me we were good friends throughout our 15 years and um really good friends and he took good care of me at times you know he had his stuff but over i could pick with men i mm-hmm. still can like mm-hmm. i'm there was that one time i got married on a on a run for like six weeks and it was bad but i mm-hmm. laughed Back when I was 19, you know, Mm. (laughs) Um, I forgot about that. Anyways, explain that to a judge seven years clean. I don't know his name, but we were married back in the 90s sometimes. I was was loaded, right? Yeah, hopefully the judge understands how we work. They were a little awkward and they just granted the divorce right away and I was able to get married. But those are the kinds of things I did. I was like, hey, let's try it out. One time in my addiction, I ended up in Sacramento. Like, yeah. I was like, hey, why not? I kind of traveled a bit. And it should be like a total <laughs> thing. If you if you can't remember the name of the person you married, you should be automatically declared divorced. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Totally. He was pretty good about it. And um, <laughs> shit, I can't even believe that. Like, who does that? My dad was pissed. My dad was pissed <laughs> about that. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I was loaded during the wedding, too. Mm. Oh, my gosh. It was bad. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I met a boy and, uh, that boy, uh, and me just, uh, he was in another treatment center and I got pregnant and, uh, I was in school. Um, I started school. We had, um, a beautiful, uh, baby girl. Uh, her name, uh, is, was Cheyenne Faith and, uh, my first recovery baby. And uh, we were, I was about 18 months sober and just finishing up school uh, for nursing, nursing aid. And uh, she passed away in a preventable accident uh, in, under the care of a nanny. Mm-hmm. And so official cause of death was uh, positional asphyxiation. So mm-hmm. she slipped between a wall and a mattress. And... Um, she died mm. and uh and that's where i connected with your dad mm-hmm. <laughs> he um jesus how do you go, how do you move through that though like, i i have no idea and how do you move through that sober yeah because yeah. i've remained sober through that and i finished school yeah and you know what it was it was community mm. it was absolutely community and it was absolutely therapeutic community servants anonymous uh, recovery church. Yeah. It was uh, a good network of uh, sacred circle people that were just for me. Mm-hmm. My 12-step group, um, 
it's garden block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, there, back then, it was a lot of old timers, mm-hmm. and I had established a really solid group of people. And at that time in Calgary, you may have remember there was a lot of media around children dying. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a couple of pretty tragic um, incidences that happened. And uh, so our daughter's death, Shai's death, uh, that's her legacy is I get to talk about her today mm-hmm. with you and I yeah. get to share she's part of it and um, I, love it. I I do I just get chills right mm-hmm. and um, uh, it was all over the front news mm-hmm. it was it was awful it was awful it was just really ve- dead baby probe that's what I woke up to oh geez you know and yeah. um that's what I woke up to, and th- thank God the medical examiner at the time had called me about 5.30 in the morning and mm-hmm. told me the cause of death because there was a murder investigation. Like, there's a timeline. Like, like when a child dies, you it, it was scary. It was scary, and there was this moment the CART team had picked us up mm-hmm. and uh, from the hospital, and they put my uh, now ex-husband in a room and and and. and had questions for them and they put me in a boardroom and I remember it was like on the 25th floor mm. and I thought I'm done like I'm done in this time though I have gained um, my my oldest son mm-hmm. had moved back with me so I was like oh I'm done and I remember thinking I just want to drink and I turned to the officer and I said I just want to drink and he said aren't you sober I said, yeah. And he's like, you don't need a drink. And I remember looking at him and clearly thinking, if you can see what you see every day, I don't need to drink today. And that was my first God shot. If you can work on this cart team and see dead children, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Yeah, right? And that yeah. was my... So it's like these series of God coming into my, my life mm-hmm. and just taking care of me and holding me. And when I think about the spirituality in that when I think about that and I think about that poem footprints when I carried mm-hmm. you that's exactly what my recovery mm-hmm. has been um, with dealing with child loss mm-hmm. and coping learning to live with child loss mm-hmm. that's what I, I've done is learn to live with child loss I, I, I'll never be over it mm-hmm. I'll never be okay with it I'll never be able to drink it away mm-hmm. I'll never be able to cry it away or anything, mm-hmm. right? It just is what it is. And when I think of that today, and I think I can, I have gone to the cornerstones of complete pain mm-hmm. and agony to the point where um, when you lose a baby, a mother, my milk came back in, like I was grieving, my whole body ached for her. I just knew 100%, and it was a clear message to me, and I know it was from God, that if I can feel that much pain, I can feel that much joy. Mm. I can feel that much joy. And that's kind of what gave me hope, yeah. right? And, um, okay, like if I can feel that much pain, there's got to yeah. be that much capacity for joy. And so I just kept going day after day. Stay clean no matter mm. what. Don't pick up. Stay sober. Stay sober. Stay sober. And I didn't want to let my son down. I had let him down enough. Mm-hmm. And um, I had let him down enough. And there was a lot of stuff around it too for me, Dave. Like there was a lot of stuff. Like a lot of people were like, um, oh, you're such an inspiration. Oh, God, I hated that. 
I hated Thanks that. Thanks for allowing my pain to be your inspiration. <laughs> totally, right? How about if I you kill you? <laughs> totally. And that's how I was for yeah. a good 10 years. I bet. I would go into meetings and like people would share and I'd be like, shut your fucking mouth. Mm. Right? Because I just couldn't handle like, are mm. you kidding me? I'd kill for your problems because the pain was so bad and mm. the anger was so bad. But... It was just there was so much pain. Mm-hmm. There was so much pain, and uh, and you know I tried grief groups and things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, to be honest with you, they helped, but they didn't work. Mm-hmm. And um, I got into uh, working in palliative care. Mm-hmm. So in my early career, so uh, as a nursing aide, um, and I worked in pain crisis management in the Tom Baker Center. Mm-hmm for a lot of years and uh, there I learned a lot about um, what it means um, for palliative care like Mm -hmm. what it means to have pain management and what narcotics are actually for Mm. yeah (laughs) you know their proper use totally I'm like (laughs) they have a function (laughs) you know it's not it's not just the blotto you know (laughs) and um, I and they were so good to me there um um they knew I had worked in different social services places. And so when homeless people came in for palliative care, mm-hmm. I got to be on, you know, take care of them. I remember this one fellow and just, yeah, sneaking him off the unit so he could go smoke. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd do crazy things. And I didn't care, right, because life's mm-hmm. too short. And um, I just really learned a lot there. And uh, I a line came up. In, in another job at Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. and uh, in the for the um, palliative care for in Rotary Flames House. Okay. So I was like, oh, I'll apply for it. It was a day full time day line, right? Which is a dream. Mm. And and so I applied for it. I was like, yeah, right. I won't get it. And then my prayer is always, God, put me where you need me the most. Well, guess who gets the call? Mm. And I remember the conversation I had with my higher power. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You think I can go take care of dying children mm-hmm. with their families? Are you kidding me? God says, yes, Nicole, I think you can handle it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I went there and I did the training and I worked there for about a year. And, um, you know, it gave me an opportunity to give families something mm-hmm. that I didn't have in sudden loss. You know, um, and it was a real gift an honor to to be on uh, to witness mm-hmm. and to be on a journey with a family it just it truly is the problem with that was i wasn't prepared for the child abuse mm-hmm. and that was my line in the sand um and i just couldn't do it so it was time to leave i was starting to kind of decompensate mentally mm-hmm. and emotionally and and you know throughout the years i i've had to be very careful with mental health mm-hmm. not only am i staying sober but depression and grief mm-hmm. and loss i think i was 7 years sober i ended up in a psychi- psychiatric care mm-hmm. unit i just stopped one day i just stopped. i had two toddlers by that time and I just stopped. And I think I, it was just because I was going, 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 yeah. going, going. Because no matter what, I'm going to stay clean. No matter what, I'm going to live. No matter what, no matter what, do, do, do. And one day I just stopped and crashed. I just, it just ended for me. So I ended up in uh, a hospital for 30 days. And I swear to God, this happened. 
And I was there, and they had me on all of these medications. And um, a guy came in high on crystal meth with a gun into the hospital unit. Mm. And, I, and I thought, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> this is how I'm going out? Mm. This is how I'm going out. You stay clean and sober for seven years through the death of your child, survive like that crap that happened in Vancouver, all of this stuff, and you're going to die clean and sober by the hand of a crystal meth addict? No way. Mm. No way am I going like that. And so within like 24 hours, discharged myself and started a different, started mm. taking care of myself in a different way. And <laughs> so another God moment, mm. right? Another God moment. And uh, keep on the path. Anyways, so here I am today, right? And I think about my recovery and I look back on my recovery and uh, look about, look back on the last 19 years. How has that been for me? Mm. And it's been hard, mm-hmm. right? It's hard. It's hard to stay clean. It's yeah. hard in the sense of staying connected. Mm-hmm. So um, even though I've been clean for this long, I have, to, and I have had three recovery babies. Um, when I went through my divorce uh, with my sobriety husband, and we survived 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know. Um, me and the kids went through a really hard time Mm -hmm. and I um, had to go back in therapy Uh, thank goodness I did that my Mm -hmm. workplace was supportive Um, I had to put my kids in therapy my kids were extremely violent angry um, and I really struggled with their feelings Mm -hmm. and what to do for them because you know what your life isn't that bad you have recovery parents. Mm. If you had the childhood I had or the, the people I've seen or worked with in social work or mm. whatever, you wouldn't be like this. And I just got to say, thank God for Woods Homes mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, they really saved our family and helped us on the path of healing. And I thank God I just for Children's Hospital, the mm-hmm. psychiatric care here. And it's all about Thank God for my mom mm. showing me that it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Even when, like, I don't have to go into a meeting. I still go to meetings today. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to go into a meeting and present well. Mm-hmm. And that's what's kept me clean and sober, yeah. is always being truthful about where I am, no matter how ugly it is, and mm-hmm. always telling on myself to one safe person and keeping that sacred circle that sacred recovery, people for Nicole, people mm-hmm. for her kids, really close to me and reaching out, right? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Anyway, so the divorce about 15 years clean was was hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard. And I didn't think I was going to make it that time. Yeah. And everything I had known, everything I had shared um, with my ex-husband um, was gone. And we figured that okay we see we get clean we stay clean and sober we have kids we both work in social work we're we're in recovery we bought a house Mm -hmm. we did all the right things and we arrived there and we're both freaking miserable (laughs) (laughs) we're both miserable we did everything our parents told us to do Mm -hmm. everything that was expected 
you know, but we're just looking at each other like we're friends. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's nothing there, right? Like in the, in that sense. And he came down the stairs one day and he just said, I want a divorce. And mm-hmm. I was broken. I was broken by it. And and I was angry. I was so angry. And those, my, my poor recovery kids, Joe and Maddie, like they just, they went through so much. Everything that they had known in their world was rocked, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, Woods taught me that, mm-hmm. that their trauma is their trauma, right? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like, listen, mom, because mm-hmm. I was always like going, 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 yeah. fixing. We're going to make this better. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be this way and we're going to appear good mm-hmm. because this is what's expected to us, you know? And then trying to live like that and living so false that you hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And you hit a wall and then your option is you you may have heard this in, in the program, you know, big book, the gun mm-hmm. or the bottle. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's been many times those are my options, you know, and uh, the big book's a whole nother topic for me. But mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, an interesting topic. <laughs> it is yeah. both of them. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's so oh, there's so much to that. Mm-hmm. But um making sure that my kids got their health and wellness too. How do you have family in recovery and mm-hmm. still have the issues you bring into it, right? Like, yeah. I don't think we talk about that enough. I really don't. Mm-hmm. And and that life is hard, right? Like, and yeah. it is, we don't have to be perfect and we don't have to present well. And I don't mm-hmm. have to be, walk into a 12 step meeting room and, and sponsor everybody and all of those things. I've never been that mm-hmm. person. And um, I've always been really clear, like I'm fucked mm. up, you know. I've always maintained women's meetings. Yeah. Um, I've always, those are the things that I needed to do. And uh, after the year and a half we spent with Woods Homes, um, we did their family treatment as well. Okay, yeah. At Vermilion House. Um, in that time, I met another man. I, I stayed single for a year, by mm-hmm. the way, after my divorce. Good for you. Yeah, I stayed single yeah. for a year. Recover, working in recovery, because I'm an addictions counselor mm-hmm. now. Current, like I, That's my trade now. Is um, Yeah, I, I just finished that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm an addictions counselor. But, um, well, congrats. I, I, it was a big deal. It's it was a, a big, big deal. deal. And I can work across Canada. I have a license to practice mm-hmm. the whole nine years. That's a big deal. Um, anyways, uh, when you're in recovery and you work in this industry, I work with men currently, like you can't date in the room. Like it's just gross. It's just weird. But I happened to meet a man, um, who is in recovery and, uh, he knows, you know him quite well. And, um, he's, uh, he's, he's been amazing. He's been amazing. And, uh, he stuck by me and the kids going through all this stuff mm-hmm. and did the the family treatment and all of that. But by the time I got together with him, because I was going into work, because mm-hmm. I work in this field, and I was just like, everything's fine. Meanwhile, my kids are beating the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, my son won't talk to me. I'm seeing him across the field at school because he's living with his dad and and I'm worried about him and I'm dropping off lunches there and he's like, there's all this stuff and this guy is just kind of like, okay. It got to the point where I could only go to work and um, 
I would have panic attacks mm -hmm. and I, I just felt so much shame, so much shame that my kids were having such a difficult time mm -hmm. and I couldn't fix them. And um, holes in the walls, like mm -hmm. they were the, like they were angry and punching yeah. me out. And finally I reached out to the Woods Homes crisis line mm -hmm. and, you know, um, they uh, they supported me and CPS actually worked with us too because I'd have to call I had to have these hard and fast rules no violence in the house mm -hmm. and call CPS and they were supportive and you know it didn't become a big CFS thing yeah you, you know yeah. what I mean it became like oh shit this family's in crisis they've gone through changes how can we support them yeah and and I'll be forever grateful for that mm. because I was so fearful yeah of that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't a good enough mom, that I wasn't doing enough. And it's always about Nicole being enough. Mm -hmm. And what a load of shit. <laughs> like, I just got to <laughs> say, what a load of yeah. shit now. Hindsight, that was a rough couple of mm -hmm. years. And um, my current partner just stuck by me and mm -hmm. breathed literally courage back into me because I was so heartbroken a mm -hmm. failed marriage what did I do I lost my house I lost my dogs my kids are screwed up you know all of these things and it was just messy mm -hmm. it was just messy and once again through that messy time it was a therapeutic a recovery community that yeah. got me through it yeah it got me through it got me my long-time friends mm -hmm. um, my long-term friendships um, mentors over the years, um, the mental health system for the kids and me and the families, those were the things that got me mm -hmm. through, right? Of course, I was doing some job training. I went into private therapy. And you, when you have a therapist in recovery, it looks at you and someone's like, when was the last time you did the steps, mm -hmm. right? Like, F you. Yeah. Have you read that big book? <laughs> have you read Chapter to the Wives? <laughs> How oppressive that is for us with ladies. <laughs> you know? And I really struggled in my recovery with that mm -hmm. over the years as I become an empowered and understand myself. And I get it. <laughs> like I That's just, why I'm laughing because it's, it's so true. Right? It's just like the language and all of that, you know. And, and I, that's just the beginning. Exactly. <laughs> that's we haven't even made it halfway through, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's just, it, I really, really struggled with it, yeah. and and I felt separated from it, and I felt like that was a secret too, because mm. you can't really say, "Hey, this is this this is oppressive to me. Mm -hmm. This is not okay with me." Because either you're in or you're out type of thing. Mm -hmm. And it just it just didn't always fit for me. Yeah. And so over the years I've I've absolutely have discovered other recovery mm -hmm. literature. So I've um, Charlotte Castle, um, wonderful, wonderful literature in the sixteen steps, mm -hmm. as well as Stephanie Covington and her trauma informed women's way. Mm -hmm. Um along with the big book and she charlotte castle's very extreme feminist mm -hmm. literature where stephanie and then aa big books over here and it's extremely patriarchal mm -hmm. and then stephanie covington kind of puts it right in the middle and you're able to bring it all together nice. and the spirit of of what alcoholics anonymous and the 12 steps mm -hmm. are right and yeah. I, I love that book now i love it i know the spirit what was I, the name of the book again uh, which one 
The one you the ones you're mentioning now. Oh, so so sure. you can take some notes. Charlotte Castle, yeah. 16 steps. Um, uh, many roads, one journey. Many roads, one journey. Okay. Yeah, the 16 steps. And Stephanie Covington, uh, A Woman's Way. Okay, A Woman's Way. Yeah. And, you got that, bro? Nice. <laughs> yeah. And she, Stephanie Covington actually talks about we must take the, the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12 steps mm-hmm. and put it in our and what it was really meant for. And now when I read the literature, I can look at it. This was written in the 1930s mm-hmm. and God-given. And you're Whole, looking... Holy cow. Yeah, you're looking for the spirit, spirit of it, as opposed to, po- the, to the language. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. sure if it was written now, Bill W. wouldn't have been like... <laughs> you know, yeah, no, you he know. wouldn't have been. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if your husband goes on a spree, bring him his slippers and try not to nag or whatever it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> like Some shit like that. Oh, I'm nagging, right? Nag. <laughs> like, like whatever it is. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, thank you oh for bringing God. that down a level, right? Like, yeah. And now mm. when I pick up that book, I'm just like on fire for it right yeah. like i'm like this is speaks to my heart the journey all of it speaks to my heart and i love alcoholics anonymous mm-hmm. and the 12 steps right not that i'm promoting or anything like that no, no. but that's my recovery and i'm so grateful that recovery is changing now mm-hmm. and there's a movement yeah there's so much change back to the 90s when i first started mm-hmm. And now, like, we can talk about it. Yeah. I don't identify myself as an addict anymore, mm-hmm. like, unless I'm in a 12-step room totally. where you're supposed to. It's the only place I do it. Too. Exactly. Yeah. I'm a person in long-term recovery, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay talking about my recovery. Yeah. You know, my sobriety is my abstaining time. My recovery is my life. Yeah. And how I manage it and, um, and what I do to to take care of myself Mm -hmm. and it always comes back to self-care it always comes back am i eating am i sleeping Mm -hmm. am i am i what moves my spirit Mm -hmm. what moves my spirit today riding my motorcycle that's Mm -hmm. what moves my spirit i love getting on my motorcycle and just going Mm -hmm. you know um and my kids love it too they're like you're such a badass mom (laughs) like i know (laughs) right totally and and just breathing that part of me too i'm not being an addict doesn't define me today Mm -hmm. like it did for so many years with the shame and the stigma around it you know and um it it's not who i am and there were different periods in my recovery where i was like this is not who i am and i and i felt like i couldn't say i'm not just an addict you you know so much more there's so much more to me and uh and that was a big thing for me. And I, I that was huge. This this movement in the last couple of years has really changed mm-hmm. and freed me up to speak about it and come, example, coming yeah. here, right? And um, I really lost my um, inspiration and recovery mm-hmm. because it, it just didn't fit for me anymore. Now, it, today it does. And when you have a sister come in, my sister... Uh, my middle sister came into recovery again about three three years ago and today she's my inspiration are you going to that meeting in your small mm-hmm. town where you live and i'm like yeah i go to the late a meeting and i mm-hmm. love it right like and she's every sunday she phones me did you go to your meeting and i and i love that mm-hmm. i love that she's re-inspired me to embrace the program again in in that way and i can just go into a, a meeting and be me now and 
um, do my best not to try and fix people and stuff, right? But mm-hmm. <laughs> in my head, and I'm also grateful for the family programs mm-hmm. in the 12-step re- community. Yeah. So after all, all that time in therapy and all that time with the kids, you know, going to counseling, um, I took my oldest boy to an Alateen meeting. Nice. And he came out of there and he was changed. Yeah. He was completely changed. He was like, this is not my problem because mm-hmm. unfortunately his dad's relapsed yeah. and is actively using, and uh, which was part of his pain. But dad's addiction is not my problem. Mm-hmm. Your addiction is not my problem. I don't know about this God thing, but it's not my problem. Mm-hmm. And I was like, working a better program than me right now because <laughs> I keep trying to save, yeah. you know? Yeah. So he's been a real reflection. So I don't, I don't think those, you know, those family programs. And I went to Al-Anon for a while. I had to yeah. go because it. I just had no emotional sobri- sobriety. Mm-hmm. I was just a freaking mess and trying to fix and do and control and everything else. But yet I don't relate to being an alcoholic right now. I was like 23 and I, I frick, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. All in recovery. The number one rule in recovery is don't pick up no matter what. Mm-hmm. No matter what, I don't pick up a drink. Mm-hmm. No matter what. Because everything else after that is going to be gravy. It's going to mm-hmm. be hard, right. but it's going to be gravy. So I just don't pick up no matter what. And I just want to take a second yeah. and say, if my friend out there is listening, <laughs> do not fucking pick up no matter fucking what. No matter what. Yeah. Because you can't get through anything. That's the thing he has the hardest time with. Yep. Yeah, everything else it, it, it just compounds it, you know. And mm-hmm. I just and I see the pain that's in the rooms today. And as uh, y- you must know, this I like I work in the field of addictions mm-hmm. now. And I think last year it was twenty five people that had been at some point a client of mine or I've worked with in some capacity have passed so away. Many. And I just it terrifies me, and it just breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. It just breaks my heart. And I'm so, so sad by it. And I just, uh, the pain and the suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so grateful for all the latest research. Mm -hmm. All of it. Like, they they know so much more about about my malady. Mm -hmm. About who I am. How I got here. Now we just, how do we do the next 19 years? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? How do we do the next 19? Yeah. Right? Exactly. One day at a time. But don't pick up no matter don't what. Don't pick up. Yeah, that's it. Don't yeah. pick up no matter what. No yeah. matter how. No person, place, or thing can make me use today. Yeah. And it's still after 19 years. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You know, and always, always rat yourself out to somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seriously, why not? Yeah. Save always, your life. Yeah. Always, whether you're feeling good, bad, whatever, mm-hmm. and have that good, strong recovery community circle mm-hmm. uh, your tribe your people um your sacred connections yeah and listen for the god shots you know and listen for when he speaks to you um the biggest part of letting go of cheyenne i was driving um letting go of the pain of visiting mm-hmm. cheyenne was i was driving down the road and i remember thinking I'd rather be the one grieving the loss than causing the loss. Mm, wow. And my heart just filled with pain for the person that was taking care of my daughter. Mm. 
and I'd rather deal with losing her than being the cause. Yeah. Right. Or uh, and wow. um, having that capacity to mm. like I I I just I couldn't live with myself, and to understand their pain mm-hmm. and their like I can't imagine being responsible for something like that. Oh God, I couldn't either. Right, like I, yeah. it just breaks my heart. It just, I could just cry thinking about that person's pain, you know. And um, my heart breaks for all your pain. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and I, I watched you at that um, suicide conference for first responders. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and I watched that, and I just, and I watched you talk with the man, and I was just. My heart was just breaking. I just wanted to go about mm-hmm. all like it's okay. Yeah. You know, we're gonna be okay. But you know, I just we have to remember those things, the capacity for forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. um and ask to be forgiven and those living amends are so important. Yeah. And my living amend to to everybody is to stay clean, especially mm-hmm. my oldest boy, yeah. who's qu- who's quite an interesting fellow at this point in his life. <laughs> but <laughs> God love him, yeah. you know. And and just listening for those God's God shots mm-hmm. in my life, and you know. And I'm just so grateful that I'm loved today by my current partner for me for mm-hmm. who i am as a woman robert and i have a beautiful life together we ride motorcycles we laugh we joke we have um he's a great stepdad mm-hmm. my kids just think he's weird <laughs> but <laughs> but like a good weird and and uh i love him so so much like mm-hmm. and, and i've never had that growing up love either mm-hmm. like it's really growing up yeah, where you actually do like the things you wished you could have done earlier. Like, totally, totally. Just have those conversations, have the honesty, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah, the honesty and and when he's in his pain, it's not my pain. Yeah, like as well, and because he's right, it, it is like mm-hmm. and being able to be like, okay, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, but this is yours, mm-hmm. not mine, mm-hmm. and that maturity as well and yeah. i don't know if that comes in with maturity of age or recovery i don't know and all i know is i'm in like let's mm-hmm. hang out okay you know you do what you need to do i'm not interested in his recovery yeah. either i'm really not i'm interested in how you treat me as yeah. your partner and how you are as a you know a stepfather um i'm i'm interested in those things mm-hmm. that's his journey you know yeah. and uh yeah. So that's my recovery today. Cool. <laughs> I don't <Wow>. know. <laughs> so if you could say anything to someone out there, maybe in the dark, doesn't know what mm-hmm. to do, doesn't know, like, maybe that person doesn't even know that there's stuff out there for them. Right. Like, what would you tell them? I would tell them to go to, to get help. Mm-hmm. So where where would I get help? I'd go to the hospital, mm-hmm. call the addictions hotline, just start somewhere. Yeah. Right, start somewhere, and it's not about a total abstinence. Mm-hmm. It, like that is not who you are. Like that is not your marker in life. Yeah. Just start somewhere. Yeah, do something. Mm-hmm. Rat yourself out. Yeah, I'm using. I'm I'm using this much. Let somebody know. Mm-hmm. Just, just so we can start on the recovery journey. Yeah. and recovery, uh, sobriety, and recovery are two different things. Mm-hmm. And we can have recovery. We can have recovery mm-hmm. and we can start. And relapse yeah. isn't 
isn't the end. It doesn't end anything. It didn't, it, unless it, you die, then it ends. Then it ends. And unfortunately, we're in that day and age. Yeah. But don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't define you or who you are, make you less no and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's not a marker. It's it's an, it's not a popularity contest. This is we're dealing with our lives mm-hmm. here, you know, and um, definitely look for what fits for you and mm-hmm. whatever that is, and don't let anybody tell you that oh you're not doing it right or you're not mm-hmm. doing this right or this literature is the most or the Bible or whatever it yeah. is. It's what works for you mm-hmm. and what makes you okay yeah. and comfortable to live another day as we are right now, but just one day at a time and just keep, don't give up no matter what. Yeah. Don't give up. I like that. Don't give up. Like no matter what and no matter what, Mm -hmm. right? I don't pick up no matter what. No matter what, we don't pick up. And always rat yourself out. Yeah. So if you're listening out there, (laughs) dickhead, (laughs) who keeps (laughs) pretending like I I hate him, even though I'm like, I can only tell you, the reason you get any punchy attitude out of me is when I think you might die. Exactly. That's when my punchy attitude comes out. Yeah. It's the only one I think you might die and you just might be lying to yourself. Exactly. And, we, and we're in fear of that constantly. Of course we are. Yeah. Like constantly, especially yeah. what we see in this industry. Like we're yeah. in fear of that. And then why, why are you lying? Why, like write yourself out. Mm-hmm. I am the one person that loves you unconditionally. Seriously. My, my first sponsor, Carol. Yeah. Unconditional love, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I just, this woman loved that. Yeah. To this day, love that woman. But that unconditional love, mm-hmm. you'll get it. Yep. You'll get it. And, and the more you tell the truth, the better you'll feel about the truth. Right? Exactly. So. <laughs> totally. The more well, you lie, the more you'll feel good about the lie. Lie, right? right? And it you just caves. So. Yeah, so anyway, thank you, Nicole, so much for coming on. I hope that was helpful. It was fantastic. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.